Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast, and this is part two of our franchise tag analysis and our Super Bowl 39 retrospective. My name is Hakun Wong, and I'm the, the editor-in-chief of footballgarbagetime.com, and on the phone with me is Ryan Whitfield, senior staff writer. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Not too bad. You are catching the NFL Combine today. Uh, I did not today. I uh, I, did, I did spend about an hour long getting in a fight with uh, people on Instagram um, oh, nice. that were calling Brady a system QB. So that was my uh, that was my football activities for today. But uh, it was a good time. It's a full time job for you, isn't it? Defending Brady uh, basically from all the haters out there. That's kind of like what you do. It's ninety yeah, percent of your free time. It's not even. <laughs> It's not even really defending Brady as much as, as it is. I go, I go through and find uh, the least sizzling takes possible and just insult the person <laughs> and, and their lack of football knowledge. So that's, that's more what I do. If people come in with an educated opinion, I'll let them think what they want. But I, I do enjoy trolling the people. Um, you know, there, there was one obvious Seahawks fan who's still not over Tony right. Devil uh, throwing the ball at the one-yard line. So, you know, I can get them know sometimes. Yep, yep, all right. Well, I, I did watch a little bit of it, and uh, there was some interesting uh, interesting performances by the running back today, but we're going to save that for next week because next week we're going to do a rundown uh, of the NFL Combine and some exciting news. We're going to do a crossover of another podcast next week as well on the NFL Combine. So that's all coming up. But for, uh, for this week, we have, uh, we have to finish off uh, what we started. Uh, last uh, Earlier this week, I talked about the franchise tag uh, players uh, who got the exclusive and non-exclusive franchise tag on Wednesday, uh, and that uh, and they have until July 15th in order to come up with a long-term deal, and we talked about what all that meant, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Super Bowl 39, as we've done all, se- all off-season long, we've been doing a little bit of a history lesson on some of the best or biggest Super Bowls that have uh, occurred throughout history, and uh, that includes all the ones that the Patriots have won and the ones that the Patriots have lost, but this time, we're going to be talking about the third Super Bowl in which they did win, and another close one, and that's Super Bowl 39. And I prepped that earlier in the week, and we're going to get Ryan's take coming up real soon. But before we do all that, let's talk about the franchise tag winners. And the franchise tag losers, of course, because uh, not everybody was a winner on this one. Uh, there certainly were a number, and we're going to go ahead and let's recap those really quick. And then I'm going to get Ryan's take on which ones were the best and which ones were the worst used franchise tag in the 2017 offseason so far. So, as a reminder, the Arizona Cardinals uh, gave the non-exclusive franchise tag to outside linebacker Chandler Jones. The Carolina Panthers gave the non-exclusive franchise tag to defensive lineman Kawan Short. Pittsburgh Steelers gave the uh, exclusive franchise tag to Le'Veon Bell, their star running back. The New York Giants used a non-exclusive franchise tag on Jason Pierre-Paul, their defensive end. And we have uh, the Los Angeles Chargers using the non-exclusive franchise tag on Melvin Gordon, their outside linebacker, pass rusher. And nobody's surprised, Kirk Cousins was given the exclusive franchise tag by the Washington Redskins. Obviously, quarterback these teams are all over the place. And finally, the Los Angeles Rams put the non-exclusive franchise tag on cornerback Tremaine Johnson. 
So tell me, of those who were franchise tagged in the 2017 offseason, which one of those do you think are the best, has the best use of the franchise tag and why? And which one do you think were the worst use of the franchise tag? Yeah, you know, I, I never, I, I honestly, you know, for the most part, never believe it's a bad idea to franchise tag somebody. So um, if you use the tag, you know, I know there's there's scenarios and circumstances when you uh, when you tag somebody um, and, you know, uh, you kind of sour negotiations. Um, I think most most NFL players come into it level-headed and know it's a business and know that they're that the NFL PA is the worst PA out of all of them. So, uh, you know, they, they give the full power to, to the team's um, and that's, you know, really their fault. So I think most players understand that. So I never really think it's a bad idea to use it. Um, also because of the fact that, um, you know, even if you're overpaying for a guy, it's only for one season. So, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm pro using it. So I, I, think, I think in all cases, it's a pretty good decision to use it. Um, the only one that I think could be iffy is the Kirk Cousins one. Second year in a row, you've, you've you know, franchise tagged him. He's now been good, you know, really had two solid seasons in a row. Um I think that the chances of him ever signing a long-term deal in Washington is probably out the window at this point. I think that probably soured their relationship enough. So, um, you know, while you can say it's probably good for one year, it might hurt them in the long term. But at the same time, it's very clear that the Washington Redskins don't really believe in Kirk Cousins very much because he's playing well, and they're they're just not going to give him the long-term deal. So I think they're kind of waiting for the next guy anyways, and they don't fully believe that he's the, he's the actual guy. So um, that one was interesting. Uh, the Jason Pierre-Paul one, I thought was a little interesting um, just because I don't think that uh, to me that he's really a high-end um, defensive defensive end anymore, so I wouldn't have given it to him. Um, and then uh, and then the Chandler Jones one's the only other one that I'll you know you know maybe it's my my inability to let go of my take that Chandler Jones sucks when it matters, but um, you know I'm just I'm not I don't believe in Chandler Jones. I wasn't I wasn't upset when the Patriots traded him last year for a bag of dirt, and um, you know I just again you look at somebody. You know, the, the best example I have um, is, you know, the Patriots traded down, uh, took that pick last year and actually drafted, um, you know, somebody in the Chandler Jones trade that was actually um, useful in, in the playoff run. And Trey Flowers' re- replacement actually had two sacks in the Super Bowl um, and was more important than, you know, made more plays than Chandler Jones did in the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, so, you know, I think, I think their franchise of him is to long-term try to lock him down. Um, and I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think that's the best move because I think he's going to be overpaid um, when he does get a contract. So, um, and then obviously the Le'Veon Bell one I think is probably hands down the smartest move out of all of them. Um, right. You know he's going to, you know, I, I would want to I want to see him go a full year without an injury or a suspension or something like that before I hand him over a huge contract. And um, you know he's, he's in his mid to late twenties, so he's coming up on his last contract probably as a running back, as we all know. What happens to running backs over 30? So, um, I, mean, I think it's a good idea to maybe go year to year with him right now until he proves he can, like I said, go you know full 16 games um, and not get hurt in the playoffs either. Right, and the current tag number for uh, running backs is 12.1 million. Actually, not that bad for a one-year deal, one-year rental on Le'Veon Bell. And you know, and as I mentioned, or as we both mentioned, actually, it's not only the injuries, uh, although we haven't seen that many injuries for him. We've seen some. It's also the off-field issues. I mean, he's had suspensions twice, so you know, to keep him clean, to make sure he actually stays uh, on off those issues and on the field, uh, will be interesting to see as well. So, a one-year deal, I, I agree with you, makes a lot of sense. And talking about Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, as I, I mentioned last time, he actually came out and said that the only team he wanted a long-term deal with were the San Francisco 49ers. 
uh, most likely to be Kyle Shanahan, uh, who actually, you know, as we talked about previously, was the guy who demanded to get drafted in the fourth round after they took RG3. So I agree with you there. I, I don't think I think that's a two-way problem. I think, first of all, the Redskins aren't w- willing to give him the contract he wants for a long-term deal, and he's not willing to really sign a long-term deal. So there's going to be a disconnect there. But really, what, what are they going to do if they let him go? They don't they don't have anybody else, and they really need some time to find somebody to take his place later on. Let me ask you about Tremaine uh, Johnson, because of the fact that he is also a double-tag double tag club guy. He's been tagged now twice uh, this last season and this season. He's going to be the highest-paid cornerback in the league. He's got a current uh, number of $16.7 million for one year. Um, they still obviously have time for a long-term deal before July 15th deadline. But, you know, in, in 2016, he only had one interception. Uh, he's been good in the past, but, you know, there hasn't been a cornerback that was franchise-tagged in back-to-back years since Charles Woodson. So what do you think about that, about Tremaine Johnson? And, and was that worth a double franchise tag? Yeah, so with Johnson, you know, um, I, I think I think interceptions is consistently an overrated stat in, in cornerbacking, especially, you know, you've seen it the last couple of years. Um, you know, I know there's a big argument with Darrell Davis is if he'll be a Hall of Famer. Um, and I think we'll have that same argument with Richard, Richard Sherman someday. And I just, when, when you're changing coverages and people are scared to throw your half of the field, um, right. you know, I think that, that you know, that that's a, that's a bigger issue. And um, so I, I think in Johnson's case that the one interception thought not really a bad thing, and you know, I, I think they are overpaying him a little bit, obviously. Um, but I think there's two positions in football you have to overpay at, and it, it or that you know, it, it's cornerback and, and, and uh, quarterback. You know, if you, yep. if you don't have a guy, you know, that's that's why Byron Maxwell, who was easily probably the worst guy, because I would take um, Jeremy Lane the last couple years over what Byron Maxwell did in that system in Seattle. You know, he's probably the worst secondary player they've had. Um, during this whole Legion of Boom run, but he still went to Philly and got a massive contract because if you don't have one, you know if you don't if you don't have a number one, um, you know you're going to pay a number two and sometimes even a number three like a number one, and you have to do it because you have to have somebody somewhat representable out there. So, um, so I think he's a little overpaid, absolutely. But um, you know, yeah, already Janoris Jenkins walked out the door last year, so you gotta you gotta retain some kind of talent in that back end. So. Um, it's definitely an overpayment, but, um, you know, I don't think it's bad at the end. It's another position that, um, you know, unless you can really eventually make the, you know, the, the switch to a true zone corner or to a safety like we saw Woodson do late in his career, um, or like right. the rumors that Revis might do now late in his career, um, you know, if you can't make that transition, you're pretty useless after 30. Very few pure coverage corners are good, at, you know, past the age of 30. So at this point, again, it's kind of a smart decision with certain guys like him um, to, to go year to year on. Yeah, I agree, and I think they are still trying to work out long-term deals. And but, but you're right; you really can't. You lose an important piece like that if you have it. All right, let's ring the bell on it and move on to our next uh, topic, and that is this retrospective that we've been doing all season long. This time on Super Bowl 39. Now I set this up earlier in the week in a podcast uh, on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, we talked a little bit about what happened during the game, a little play-by-play. Uh, the New England Patriots end up winning this 24-21. The difference in the game, again, is uh, it's been a Terry field goal, but not in the uh, last-minute uh, perspective uh, situation like it was in the first two. And, of course, this is the only time in which Tom Brady did not win the MVP of a Super Bowl that he won. This was actually uh, won by Deion Branch, who had an 11-reception, 133-yard performance. And the name of the game, again, forced turnovers becoming huge for the Patriots and allowing them to preserve their victory at the end of the game. So tell me, Ryan, 
What are your takeaways from Super Bowl 39? Yeah, so, um, you know, if you know, if anyone knows me personally knows that, you know, growing up when I was, when I was real young, it was, I, I was all about Ty Law. Um, but he is, he is tied as my favorite Patriot of all time with Deion Branch. Um, I absolutely love Deion Branch. So the fact that Deion Branch won the MVP in the Super Bowl um, was one of the one of the best moments of my life. Uh, Deion, Deion was a uh, you know I wanted to, and not even jokingly like almost half not even you know half jokingly I wanted to name my son Deion Branch Whitfield. Um, I was shot down on that idea. But, um, <laughs> That's awesome. And you didn't I, do I, it? I, oh my god! I, I can't believe Deion. it. No, I was I was not allowed to. I I, I fought oh, for yeah, it hard, okay. but uh, um, you, but you Deion is you know, uh, a great player. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but Dion, you know, he had a huge game. You know, he had, he had a great he had a great game the year before too. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that, for whatever reason, he just always clicked with Brady. Um, at the beginning of his career, he was great here. Then he went to Seattle, kind of floundered for a couple years, and then came back in 2010 after the Randy Moss trade um, and kind of flourished again with the Patriots uh, through 2010 and uh, had a decent year in 2011. So, um, you know, obviously had a huge game. This is this is honestly the worst Super Bowl out of all the Patriots Super Bowls and I include um, you know the two the two losses to the wow. Giants too. Um, so I, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was a very great game. Um, you know it was it was a ten point lead late in that game for the Patriots. This was not, you know, a last second win like most of their games are. Um, it was the most embarrassing drive in the history of the NFL. It's it, you know quintessential uh, Donovan McNabb and quintessential Andy Reid um, having no idea about the play clock or, or the, I mean, the game clock. Um, I think it was like an eight-minute drive. They, go, they, had, they went and got that touchdown. Um, you know, a lot of questions came out of McNabb's um, his uh, being in shape. Um, there was a lot of questions. I guess there was, you know, so I don't know if they've ever been confirmed, but I've heard rumors of that McNabb was dry heaving in, in the in the huddle between plays wow. and was like coughing up fits and stuff and that that was why they moved the ball so slowly in the fourth quarter again you know yeah you had to score twice just they were you know taking their time driving down the field um i also think it's a completely different game if uh terrell owens isn't dealing with a high ankle sprain um I'm, i i don't remember right. off the top of my head and i don't have the stats in front of me but i'm pretty sure he had like something like 110 yards receiving on seven receptions yep, so he still had a pretty good game yeah, I nine, think, yep. yeah. And so, yeah, so I think he so obviously still had a pretty good game, um, which scares you yeah. if, uh, as a Patriot fan, if he had been actually healthy, what he could have done in that game. Um, but, yeah, I just think it was, you know, it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of back and forth, not a lot of lead changes in this game. It was just kind of an end-to-end Patriot win. Um, I also think it was the best Patriots team of all time, 14-2. and two. Um, Corey Dillon ran for 1,000 yards that year. This is when Brady was with the help of Branch and Patton and Givens that he really started to uh, – Emerge as as uh, not no longer just a game manager, but actually a guy who could who could beat you. Um, and again, they had an amazing run game, and then they still had the the height of that that Belichick defense. So, um, yeah. you know, definitely not my favorite Super Bowl out of all of them. When I go back, you know, I'll randomly go back on uh, on the DVR and watch uh, the America's Game videos and watch the Super Bowls. And it's it's usually at the very end. Again, I'll, I'd, I'm more assume, or I'd rather watch the Giants games because they were they were more entertaining than go back and watch this one. <laughs> Wow! Wow! That's that's big. That's that's actually that's very interesting that you'd actually rather watch the Giants game than that. But, but I can understand. But sometimes it was uh you gotta you gotta look back and sit, look at some of the smaller plays in the game and kind of appreciate that. And and how did Mike Rabel uh, not make your uh, list here? I mean, he had another key sack in this game and another touchdown. I mean, that's uh that's uh, that's quite a legacy he's kind of left behind in those two Super Bowls. I mean, does Rabel rank amongst? 
some of the top ten Patriots that you uh, you'd like to put on your list? You know, I, th- I think he has to, but I don't know what it was. You know, certain players just don't resonate with you, and I was just never – I was always appreciative of what Vrabel did, um, but I just never – was never a huge Vrabel fan, and I'm kind of the same way with Ninkovich, so maybe it's just the white guy wearing number 50 playing the hybrid <laughs> defensive end slash okay. linebacker position. Yeah. It's just like, and, and, you know, and, I, and I love them both, like I don't have anything against them, but like when I'm ranking all-time Patriots, you know, I just I just don't really go to Vrabel often. Yeah, he had, he had the catch in that game, too. Um, uh, yeah, the catch in the Super Bowls, and, um, you know, he was a great player for the Patriots, and obviously had the big play there, um, but, you know, it just... Uh, he doesn't really. He doesn't really make my list. You know, I'd rather even even as that as things ended, I'd go to Richard Seymour before I go to Mike Vrabel. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to flip it over to the other side of the ball for a second, and let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, because you know, they, obviously, this is a big deal for them getting there. They wanted to. They really wanted to win this. Uh, it looked like they had a shot at the end, and of course, there was the interception. So great it for me. Amongst those guys, you know, uh, the guys who were supposed to be the prince makers on offense, you know, Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens. Ryan Westbrook, which one of those things, uh, what's one of those guys you think graded out the lowest? I would grade out McNabb as the lowest. I don't think he had a very impressive game. And again, um, whether it was a lack of awareness on the coaching and him, or it was a, it was an endurance issue, um, you have to right. put the, the pace they moved at and the interception on him. Um, I think Westbrook had a good game, not a great game. Uh, you know, I don't, there's not, not anything really stands out is that he, he cost him the game and, you know, even even in that time when running was still more important, I still don't think that running backs win or lose you championships. Um, again, I'll come back to the fact that Garrett Blunt, as a starting running back, now has two uh, Super Bowl rings. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think he was the end all be all. Um, and again, I just I think you give I think you give Terrell Owens an A plus plus, and I know people hate him um, for all those antics, but I always thought he was uh, you know he was he was a diva receiver, but he's also a diva receiver who always showed up. He showed up in the most important game of his career on a on a high ankle yep. sprain, and in 2011, Frankowski had the same ish injury with the same timetable, and he was basically a decoy out there against the Giants. Um, right. And you know, and, and where Terrell Owens went out there, and the, the offense ran through him. Um, and then obviously went back to the catch in the, the San Francisco Green Bay um, playoff game where he caught it between two guys getting sandwiched, you know. So I think I think for all for all you hate for all you have to give the man credit and I think that um you know, he might have been single handedly the, the second best player on the field besides Dion Branch, um, in, in this game. And, you know, he just yeah. it came out short but not because of him. Yeah, I agree. And I actually have to wonder, uh, for all you Eagles fans out there. You know how what the Eagles would have looked like had he stayed with Donovan McNabb if they had actually gotten along. You know, if they had gotten along in the long run, if that would have been a different uh, result for them over time. Because uh, honestly, that Eagles team was competitive year in year out. And I and I have to say that I am a I am a I am a closet appreciator of Ryan Westbrook. I think he is a a very solid you know, all-purpose running back. He's a good guy, and I, I always kind of liked him um, as a player. But, uh, Mc, you know, McNabb is a big question mark. I mean, they, they haven't had anybody who's been as good as him, but he's also hadn't anybody who's as bad as him. I mean, that's, that's the problem is that he was kind of hot and cold, and when he was cold, he would throw the ball into the ground, throw the ball into double coverage, throw the ball and not see the guys uh, kind of shadowing the middle of the field. So it, there was a lot of both guys yeah. that we saw in the Super Bowl. So. He, he was never, never going to be an all-time great quarterback, but Dunham McNabb gets a horrible rap. Um, they, they, for a lot of years, they gave him absolutely nobody to throw to. And the one time he had somebody to throw to, he took you to a Super Bowl. So, um, right. you know, and, and it certainly I don't, I don't put it on his shoulders. 
that him and Tio flamed out because Tio flamed out with Jeff Garcia, Tio flamed out with Romo, Tio flamed out everywhere he went. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's the one, obviously, huge knock on him. I just, so I think McNabb, but those, those Eagles teams were, were loaded. They, they, they went to four straight NFC championships. They should have gone to more than Super Bowl. Yeah. And they honestly should have won one. You had Brian Dawkins on the defense. Um, I'm forgetting oh, yeah. the linebacking core off the top of my head, but the linebacking core was incredible that they had in those seasons. And then you do, you have, you have, you have Westbrook who's severely underrated. He was a dual threat running back who who's an all three down back. He was great. Um, you did have Teal at the, at the end there and you had a couple good young receivers and then you had McNabb who was more than good enough to get you there. And, you know, again, if you have a healthy CO, you know, I know, I know Dunham McNabb just wants to cry, even though there's no Spygate actually related to that season or that Super Bowl. So thinks that that's the reason they lost. But um, the real reason they probably lost is because, because Teal wasn't healthy. Because if Teal's healthy in that game, um, Ty Law was injured that year, and, and Teal was just torching the Patriots secondary um, because I think they have Tyrone Poole, and uh, I can't even remember who else was the other starting um, corner for the Patriots in that game. And they had a young Eugene Wilson and uh, obviously Harrison back there. So it was kind of a not, not the best, most representative secondary the Patriots rolled out. And if you had Teal at 100%, you know, it's scary to think what the Eagles could have done in that game. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a, it's really, it was a, it definitely wasn't. It was an interesting result for me. I, I can't say like you. I don't think it was the most entertaining game, but it was. In looking back, one of those games where you say, "Wow, you know, what could have the Eagles been had they actually been consistent? Had they actually kept Tio? Had they actually given McNabb some we- some weapons?" And 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 I can't believe that they kind of ran everybody out of town town thinking that they could do better, and they they haven't been able to do better. I can say that. All right, we have. We're out of time on our shortened podcast today, but next week we are going to be running over all the NFL Combine news. We're going to do more free agency news as we sneak up on March 9th and when the free agency opens up. Uh, And we are actually going to be doing, and Ryan doesn't even know this yet, but I know he's been talking about this. We're actually going to do a overlap kind of a crossover event of another podcast where we talk about combine stuff next week. So everybody stay tuned and get in tune in for our podcast as well as the podcast that we're going to be guest hosting and guest, uh, guest appearing on next week. Uh, and uh, until next time, enjoy the NFL combine and enjoy your NFL week. <laughs>